listening to Spitball with Adri Ballhawk Mellows and Marcus Innuendo Bingo Henson. Hello and welcome to the week 15 episode of Spitball. I'm your host, Adri Ballhawk Mallows. With me this week is the coolest man since Mr. Freeze. Marcus Innuendo Bingo Henson. How are you? <laughs> I'm very good, thank you. Good, good. How's your week been, fella? Not too bad. Broken up for the holidays from university, so slightly less on the plate. Excellent. And what do we think of being compared to Mr. Freeze? <laughs> Um, I'm not sure. So used to being the the innuendo now. Could I could I deal with an, a new nickname? Uh, well, it's not so much a new nickname. It just means you're a cool innuendo guy. Cool innuendo. <laughs> Is there any other kind? Uh, well, there's cruel, sadistic. Uh, anyway, moving swiftly on. The playoffs are edging ever closer, and this week the picture got a little bit clearer. Let's dive into the action and talk about the New England versus Miami game. What did you make of it, Marcus? I loved it. Yeah, it was a bit of a slow burner, wasn't it, I thought? I thought it took a little while to get into it, but... Uh... It certainly finished off with with all the drama that you would come to expect from a divisional match. Yeah, I mean, if you consider after three quarters, it's 10-10. It was kind of, at points, it was quite yawny. I mean, you don't think, you've come to expect it from, say, Miami, who are a sort of slow-burning sort of offense this year, where they slowly grind out their, their run game to open up the, the pass. But you always think of, like, Brady being able to quickly score. You know, you give him two minutes and you, you're basically giving him points. It's true, and I think at some points during the game, we all needed a football to the face, just like the uh, holder for the Miami Dolphins when he got the, <laughs> <laughs> got the mistimed snap that just ricocheted off his helmet before he even knew. That's uh, one of the funniest things I've I've seen since uh, since I saw. The I think fumble. it yeah, it's butt fumble, and since Luke getting hit in the face in uh, in Spartans training. So beautiful, beautiful times. But uh, other than the uh, football to the face. What other things did you take from that game? I mean, the last four minutes was where all the drama kind of kicked off. You started off with, obviously, uh, New England being ahead going into the last four minutes. Miami then coming back, getting the extra touchdown to put themselves four points up. But they left over a minute on the clock for Brady. And we all know what that normally means. And it did nearly pay off for them as well, didn't it? It, it, was, it, was, the, it was the fact that it was an interception as well, I think. Not just the incomplete pass, it was the interception that really made it for me. That I was like, yes, because it sealed the deal. Nothing else could come from it. Interception, game over, you know. That's it. And uh, let Tannehill come out for the kneel down to, to ice the game. So, yeah, great win for Miami. They had several playoff implications going into that game. Obviously, if, if New England won it, they would have sealed the division title and book their place in the playoffs. Miami, uh, who actually ended up with a win, as we just said, went temporarily into sixth place, uh, and we're obviously waiting to see what happened in the Baltimore-Detroit game last night. Um, Obviously, Baltimore won that, so I believe Baltimore are now in sixth place. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong out there. Uh, Even the the producer who likes to cut in, as I found now, if I say something wrong, so I've got to be careful with everything I say. Uh, So... You know, did you catch that last week when he backed you up there with his little interruption, Marcus? <laughs> Marcus always right. Yeah, you were, and uh, I apologise to you in front of all of our audience that I was indeed wrong, and winter does officially start on the 21st of December, so um, fair play. You're the man in the know, and uh, I'm the man that goes for the show. So another game that got my attention this week was Philadelphia versus Minnesota. Minnesota were without Adrian Peterson and Toby Gerhardt, so without their first two choice running backs but 
as they say, they played a hell of a game. What do you think of that one, Marcus? It was brilliantly managed by the, the Minnesota team. It really was. Care to uh, expand on that? <laughs> well, basically, the game plan itself, they, they understood what was going to happen. And we've said it a couple of times this year about bending, not breaking defences. LeSean McCoy, who, who put over 200 yards in the snow the week before, only got 38 yards of eight carries. They completely shut down the run game, made it go completely foal-centric. And by playing their game and getting ahead of the, the sort of points tally, I mean, they came into the half and they're 17-9 up. They knew the second half, Philadelphia had to throw to keep up with them. They just kept to their they kept to their, their system. You had Asiata coming in as the third running back. Had a great game, I think, considering, you know, the guy hadn't had much in the way of, you know, integration with the team. Suddenly, you're number one running back. Greg Jennings, what a time to find your form. And it was just, it was perfectly game managed. That When they say that American football was like, a game of chess with live pieces and I feel that the Minnesota head coaches and offensive coaches and, and defense great performance by defense all the coaches just we'll bracket that as all the coaches they won that chess battle absolutely and even though uh, as you say they, it was a very well coached game it was still only 27-22 going into the start of the fourth quarter so I genuinely thought Philadelphia were in with a shout and I can't uh, talk about this game and not mention the uh, Zach Ertz catch as well for the Eagles, I thought that was a pretty spectacular catch uh, into the corner of the end zone. The one-hander, yeah, it was spectacular. Absolutely, and Greg Jennings, I think we both agreed that he still has it, doesn't he? He hasn't lost a lick since he uh, left the Packers. Not a single pace has left his body. Absolutely. Um, I also think it would be rude not to talk about this game, and that is the Kansas versus Oakland game and the 87 points they scored between them. Where do we start on this one, Marcus? Well, firstly, I just what other planet is Jamal Charles from? Uh, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, so I would say he's from Mars. He was just, he, he completely found his form, and again, it was perfectly managed. This time I'm going to talk about the QB, because we all say that Alex Smith didn't have, you know, doesn't have the right qualities to properly make it in the league, and lots of people questioning once he left the, the 49ers for Kansas, thought that he wouldn't make a name for himself. With his weapons around him, with Charles, Avery, Bo, you know, he has got a nice selection. He understands what his game management is. He's not going to be the big arm slinger. He's not going to be the, you know, dazzling with your feet guy. He's going to be the guy who's just going to play the game. He had 17 out of 20 uh, completions to attempts. He only missed three in the entire game. Absolutely amazing. Though it was only for 280-odd yards, five touchdowns, four of them, to be fair to Charles, but he knew where the gaps were, where the weaknesses were, and how to exploit them. And taking advantage of the check down receiver and ultimately, uh, ultimately being the game manager that we said he would be at the start of the season. You say that's why, pretty sure you said that's why Andy Reid took him over there just to manage that offence and and the best quarterbacks always check it down to their running back if there's no other option because then at least you get some yards and normally those sort of plays would result in sort of two to five yard gains. But this week, Jamal Charles just went crazy yeah, and I mean, Oakland couldn't tackle for, for toffees basically. That's oh, the no, politest no. Oh, way that's... to put it. <sighs> their angles, the attack angles they used to tackle as well. Oh my words! You could have it could have been a bunch of eighth graders trying to play um, Kansas City at times. It looked that bad. No, absolutely. It's it was a lot of it was on Charles and the yards after the catch he made. But yeah, going back to what we said at the beginning of the year, Alex Smith might not be the star quarterback, but he's definitely the smart quarterback, and I think that's what is going to win him win him over in uh, in Kansas City. Though he probably already won over the fans and everyone in Kansas City, but I think he could cement himself 
a good home for the next couple of years to see out the end of his career if he plays it smart. Yeah, for sure. And on the contrast to that, I'm wondering what Oakland are doing, just to finish up on this game. Oakland seem to be sharing the snaps at the moment between McGloin and, and Pryor, and McGloin did have four interceptions during this game, but I'm just wondering, why do we think they're alternating between the two quarterbacks during the game, with, with McGloin getting the higher percentage of the snaps? Well, don't forget that also uh, Pryor had an interception as well. I mean, it was that bad. Uh, it's really. Uh, I think the idea is that they're trying to understand where Pryor comes in. They brought Pryor in to be the idea is that they wanted this sort of this durable sort of option quarterback. You know, they could do a lot with him and sort of pose many threats. And and really now they they, they keep trying to bring him in into the game to try and open up the option or the wildcat sort of potential. And it's not quite sinking. McGloin, of course, he's still getting his feet wet within the league. So it's there's a lot of there's a lot of growth that needs to be developed in Oakland before someone can actually step up to the job and claim it as theirs. It's almost like we're we're about to finish the season and we've already started next year's quarterback battle. Yeah, but I think from from my eyes and my perspective, up until he got injured, Pryor had won that starting role, and I thought he was playing exceptionally well up to the point he got injured. Obviously, now he's, he's coming back from that, but it's not really like a, a Chicago situation where you would say bringing in the, the starting quarterback. Like if they brought Pryor back now over McGloin, you wouldn't say, wow, why on earth have they done that? You would say, well, that makes sense because Pryor was playing really well prior to the injury. McGloin hasn't done anything that special, so we might as well just bring Pryor back. I think it's kind of also the same way. Taking that option, like you said, that he has really got the starting role, they're still in cotton wool mode, where kind of like what the Redskins have done, going switching to Cousins for the last couple of games of the season, giving them the full rest. I think they want to keep Pryor sort of within the game, but at the same time, they want to try and limit him and let, like, as you saw, McGloin absolutely, you know, take the, the beating and try and just trying to find out what they've got in their team of course the receiving core looks shaky then no one seems to want to step up and be a number one receiver we thought Moore was going to be that guy and the straighter seems to be the guy who picks up as well Reese is also another weapon but Jennings is starting to emerge what's going to happen to McFadden that the fact that he can't stay healthy there's just if you imagine Oakland Raiders have just got one massive big question mark which is literally how do we construct a team out of all these these individuals and it seems to be a team of individuals at the moment it it really is stuck on that we've got people who can do what we need but we haven't quite like a puzzle in the wrong order yeah all the pieces don't know how to put them together yeah fair enough and we'll, we'll leave Oakland there because you did also raise another interesting point there for me which kind of wound me up a little bit this week and that was the benching of RG3 because if you're going to bench him for three games why not make those three games at the start of the season where you then still have got to do my quick maths when you then still have 13 games with a, a healthy and 100% healthy RG3 to make a run at the playoffs as opposed to doing it the other way around and forcing him to come back early when he's maybe not 100% healthy and then playing him hurt so that he doesn't recover quickly and then at the end of it to be like, oh, actually, we're going to rest you for next year. So, well, if you would have given him the rest he needed at the start of the season, he would be healthy now for one and two, you would probably be atop what has been a a very poor division this year. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't make sense, but also... The problem is, you look at the rumour mills coming out of Washington and... Oh yeah, wasn't there a rumour that he's asked for a trade or something like that, or he's not going to be there much longer? There's so many... There's, um... rumor, there's loads of rumours. There's the rumours that Shanahan uh, wants out, there's the rumours that he wants out, there's the rumours that he was told to play hurt at the beginning of the year, there's rumours that the doctors sort of 
said that his knee was better than it was to Shanahan. It's, there's too much rumor, and this is this is where the the gossip and the media can can cause confliction within the NFL. And unfortunately, someone like RG Fee, who RG Fee, RG Three, does tend to draw a lot of those the the speculations and the sort of the rumor mills. Love to just buzz around a big name player like that, and somewhere like um, DC, where you have got you know a very big sort of organization that itself is under the rumor mill you know with naming rights and all that sort of such it seems to be this year just so much controversy it's been too much off the field and not enough on the field fair enough we'll, we'll leave that there but do you have any other games you want to talk about before we move on marcus uh, no no i mean there was there were some great games uh, monday night as always seems to throw up monday night football is always a great game and it seems to be this trend now that these single solo games like Thursday night we had San Diego upsetting Denver just to just to make if the um, Miami game wasn't interesting enough made it extra interesting yeah that's right yeah because with the Denver loss the New England would have been the number one seed had they won as well wouldn't they so exactly so I'm loving the fact that the standalone games now the Thursday nights and the Monday nights well Monday nights for a while has always been prime time but Thursday nights you know getting a little shine of prime time itself Excellent. Okay then. Game here, and here is RG3. He's going to run for the first down, and still on his feet. RG3 is going to outrace everybody. 76-yard touchdown run by RG3. We now move on to my favourite part of the show, and that is our weekly awards. Are you ready for this, Marcus? Yep. No, I said. Are you ready? Yes. Okay then. So we start with our award, and if I may, I would like to mix it up, and uh, I'm going to go first this week, Marcus, if that's okay. Yeah, that sounds good. Excellent. Right, so I'm going to start with my runner-up for the award, and this week, we briefly touched on it at the end of the last segment there, it comes from the Monday night game between the Baltimore Ravens and the Detroit Lions. I've given it to Justin Tucker, kicker for the Baltimore Ravens. Not every day the kicker gets mentioned in the awards, but when he's responsible for all 18 points in the victory, I think it's only fair that he gets the credit. And credit where credit's due, because not only did he kick six field goals, or six out of six field goals, but the final game winner was a career-long 61 yards. And they weren't even playing at a mile-high stadium. 61 yards. He kicked it from his own 49-yard line. How amazing is that? It's, it's sweetly amazing and somewhat scary because do you know what my runner-up is this week? Uh-oh. Is it Justin Tucker? It's Justin Tucker! <laughs> <laughs> Wowzers, man. This is, this is bad because our runner-up and our winners are probably going to be the same players this week. I think it's almost got to be. But yeah, as well, great minds think alike. You know, we like to give credit where credit's due. If you score all 18 points in your team's victory, what more of an impact could you have? Hence why Tucker is the runner-up. Do you have anything that's more to pretty, add on, that's Tucker? A bold, that's a pretty bold impact, isn't it, right there? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Do you have anything more you want to add to, to the Justin Tucker front? Uh, I, I don't know. It's just, how, how good a day can you get as a kicker, really? Well, yeah, that's right up there. I, I refer to it often enough, but it does remind me of the good old... Johnny Wilkinson, England rugby days. So there you go. You know, like when we beat France in a World Cup semi-final, basically on the boot of Johnny Wilkinson. Those were the good old days. So uh, well done, Justin Tucker. We like to uh, give credit where credit's due on this show. So 
Man, 61 yards again, though, with no altitude. He's playing in Detroit. Wow. just It's just phenomenal, like, kicking it that far. And I always think to myself, you know, 61 yards, it sounds and looks amazing. And then also at the same time, you think to yourself, well, hang on a minute. They do actually kick it, like, 65, 70 yards on a kickoff anyway to kick it through the end zone. So, in theory, they should be kicking those sort of field goals anyway. But that's, that's you know, that's by the by. So, the winner this week, uh, we've probably both gone for the same player. So, instead of going first, I'm going to let you take this one. This is what I hope we haven't somehow thought we're reading each other's minds, like a couple of weeks ago, and then I twist it the other way, throw, throw a spanner in your works. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, you often do that. <laughs> but drum roll, please, and I'm going for... Jamal Charles, Kansas City running back. Yeah, we, we've not got the same player. Really? No. Yeah, of course we've got the same player. <laughs> it has to be Jamal Charles. The guy had five touchdowns this week. God, my bit. You, you, you go for it. You, you roll out his stats and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll stay quiet. Uh, 195 receiving yards and four receiving touchdowns, along with 20 yards on the ground and one running touchdown. I don't know if you can do much better. We said that you can't have much better day for a kicker. How about a better day for a running back? Yeah, tying all sorts of records as well. He's uh, one of only a handful of players that scored five touchdowns in one game and was obviously one shy of tying the NFL record. So it's just uh, phenomenal to see. Um, and great play from Charles. He did tear apart that Raiders defence and they literally couldn't tackle him. And now it's me saying literally all the time. I just literally can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, congratulations uh, as we move on nicely from that to the award winner, Jamal Charles. Now, how about some Mr. Award action? And uh, again, may I go first with my runner-up, sir? Of course you may. Okay, this week, my runner-up is, drumroll please, because the man deserves it, Eli Manning. And there's an and in there as well, though, just to, to not put it all on Eli Manning. But it's Eli Manning for his contribution to the uh, sharers of the runner-up, the Seattle defence, with his uh, five interceptions. A handful. There was five. One, two, three, five, five. You can count them on one hand. That's how many interceptions he threw. Uh, obviously, the Seattle defence had to be there to take him away. They had four sacks as well on the day. Two forced fumbles. Admittedly, they weren't recovered. But all in all... Uh, they were all over New York, and they even shut out the Giants. So, for me, well-deserving of the runner-up award. Well done, Seattle defence and Eli Manning. That was in New Jersey as well, of course. Exactly. Well, this is it. It was in uh, in MetLife Stadium. So, oh, yeah, it is MetLife now, isn't it? Just getting... I was about to say Meadowlands, but that was the yeah. old one that was probably Next about door. five, ten metres away. Crazy. When I last went to New York back in 2009, it was when MetLife was just being practically been finished. So it was really, really strange to see the two stadiums practically side... Well, they are side by side, or they were side by side. Ridiculous. But uh, who is your runner-up this week, Marcus? My runner-up this week is going to go to Mike Thomas, safety for Miami. Hey, yeah, fair play. I can see why you've gone with that. Yeah, he had three tackles and an interception. Most important, the game-winning interception to slam all those New England Patriots hopes out the door. Yeah, and he didn't just have the interception as well, because uh, if you remember, he also had that pass breakup as well on the, the game, uh, what was going to be the game-tying drive if they got the score. But uh, yes, one of the throws into I mean, the end zone, he managed to get his hand in there and just knock the ball away from Amendola, I believe it was. Yes, that was. It was 
Amendola almost had it in his hands, just about to secure it across the plane and in the in the end zone, and he just gets that hand in just at the end. He had a brilliant that, that last four minutes, that crucial four minutes. There was two very important. Uh, admittedly, the the first sort of pass, sort of breakup deflection, whatever you want to call it, was kind of more a sort of drop really, um, by I think it was Edelman, but. That second one was very crucial, and the, and the interception even more so. Excellent, yeah. So, uh, your congratulations to uh, Michael Thomas there for the uh, silver medal, as you like to call it, or the runner-up award. Now, the winner of my Mr. Award, I've gone with, and you'll be happy with this one, I've gone with Robert Quinn, defensive end for the St. Louis Rams. Four years, five tackles, of which two Very were good. sacks, yeah. And uh, one forced fumble in there as well, all against uh, Drew Brees, and he was a, a part of a defence which kept the Seattle, uh, sorry, the Seattle Saints, I was about to call them, how embarrassing, <laughs> kept the New Orleans Saints very honest and killed my fantasy team for a little while uh, with Drew Brees throwing two interceptions and fumbling the ball once so he knocked nine was responsible for helping knock nine points off Drew Brees in my fantasy game this week wowzers but impact on the day just wouldn't give Brees a moment's peace and that whole defence you can be really proud of that I thought they played exceptionally well yeah Jeff, Jeff Fisher's defence I mean that's probably one of the the positives to take away from this year. Um, as a Rams fan, I'm, I am thinking that if we had Bradford and we had a full offensive line to protect him, along with that defence, could we make some magic? I think we could, but again, now looking at it, if we did have Sam Bradford and that positive offensive line, I think it would be a deadly division because almost everyone has got, bar the Rams, who could still eke out. I mean, look at the last couple of games. We could get a 500, so therefore you're looking at entire division 500 or above it's it's an incredible division yeah absolutely over the last couple of years the NFC West has really picked up its game and because I remember at the start of last year when I was joking about saying how bad the NFC is you know is a you know who's gonna play the worst in the NFC West kind of thing like who's gonna sneak through and get into the playoffs because of how bad it was but you know they've every team in there's turned it around and are playing really well so who is yeah. your winner this week for my Ray Lewis award winner <coughs> I'm going <coughs> We don't <clears throat> use his first Mr. name. Mr. Award winner. I'm going back to the Midwest and I'm going back to Kansas City for Eric Berry safety. For the Kansas City cheese. Did he just say Kansas City cheese? For the Kansas City cheese. Yep, I thought he did. Anyway, back to your regular programming, folks. On the day, two tackles, two interceptions, one of them returned for a 47-yard touchdown! What was that? 47-yard touchdown! <laughs> yeah, nice loving your enthusiasm there. They, they had a, a reasonable performance, still gave up 31 points against the Raiders there, but uh, as an individual impact, you would definitely uh, couldn't argue with his performance. Yeah, I mean, it is one of those ones where you can definitely see where the gaps in the defence, the weaknesses lie, and it is in that secondary. We've seen it all year long that teams with a strong passing threat can can dominate the likes of when Denver you know have managed to, to to beat Kansas City and sort of take the um the AFC West we're talking about NFC West now hop over to the AFC West and allow Denver to control that division but it was I thought it was a great individual effort alongside I mean, on a highlight reel day for Kansas City when you know all these guys you know someone like Jamal Charles is dominating the highlights suddenly you see someone on the defensive side also 
again, he was he was, he was one of those ones who I think he, he doesn't get enough credit as well. So I'm going to give a kudos out to him today with an amazing performance against the Oakland Raiders. Excellent. So congratulations then to our Mr. Award winners in uh, Eric Berry for the Kansas City Chiefs and uh, Robert Quinn for St. Louis Rams. And of course, not forgetting our award winner, Jamal Charles, again of the Kansas City Chiefs. You are listening to Spitball. So, Marcus, what's been grinding your gears this week? Well, let me tell you. You know what really grinds my gears? You, NFL, you have been grinding my gears. Only two weeks of the regular season left to go, and now everything fires up, everything gets amazing, everything gets great now that I want more. It's not fair. Speaking of which, what I'm saying is that this week we had eight out of the 16 games come down a single score. Two of them, one-point games. Overtime down over in Tennessee, and upsets galore. What's going on? You can't do this to me this late in the season. Now all I'm promised with is playoff bounds. I want to see this week in, week out. Not two weeks left. 52 points. That's the average points we scored this week per game. That's one of the highest we've seen for, for a long time. We're seeing points. We're seeing upsets. We're seeing all of this. And now you're telling me I've only got two weeks left to enjoy this before you have to solo out and pick maybe two games a week to, you know, playoff bound. It's great, that contention. But at the same time, I want to see this week in, week out. I want to see the fire. I want to see 16 full games, not just four games, breaking them down into the wild cards. Ah, oh, what are you doing to me, NFL? Getting so good so late. I want to see this every week. And that's what's been grinding my gears. Nice. Well, do you know what? I actually uh, want to chip in with something as well this week and say, you know what really grinds my gears? The Seattle Seahawks challenge after Victor Cruz got knocked out. I can understand why they oh. challenged the play, and I'm not so much mad at that, but what really grinded my gears was how they celebrated after they won the challenge when a guy's just been knocked out. They were running and jumping up and down the sideline like they'd just won the bloody Super Bowl. But no, there's a guy down on the field, be humble about it, you know, the guy's just knocked himself out trying to make a play for his team. You do not, I repeat, you do not need to be an arse and celebrate like that. That's how much it's wound me up. And that, ladies and gentlemen, this week is what really grinded my gears. You know what really grinds my gears? Yeah, that was, it was completely, also it was the smiles as they were waiting for the, when they saw it on the Jumbotron and they saw him get knocked out and they saw the ball pop out because the guy had been knocked out, I might add. It's very hard to hold on to a ball when you've been knocked out. And the fact that they had smiles on their face knowing that the, the call was going to be overturned. Hardly no one on the Seattle team took a knee, as you'll know, playing football as well as we, we do. Every time there's an injury, you take a knee. It's a sign of respect that you play on the field. We are gladiators on that field of play. Therefore, to do that, there's an honour bound to it. It was completely disrespectful. I, I, I agree with you completely that the way they, they reacted was absolutely terrible. And yeah, quite rightly so, your gears have been ground. Yeah, and Seattle, if you want my my respect and my support during the playoffs, you better sort out your act because that's just not good enough. You're not paid to be that way. What's up, big boy? Let's go! Nice job, way to get us over there, babe. Hey, uh, old school game, this is our game, right? This is our kind of game. With it being so close to the playoffs, and albeit that is actually what's grinding Marcus's gears this week, I thought it was about time we had another look at the playoff picture. 
So, going into the beginning of the week, we had 25 teams that were all in with a mathematical chance of making the playoffs. With the Miami win over New England, we lost five of those teams, including my beloved Buffalo Bills. Everybody say, ah. Oh. And uh, a few other teams were, were knocked out as well, yet somehow the New York Jets apparently still have a chance of qualifying. So in the AFC East, it is only the Bills who have been eliminated, whereas the Jets, Dolphins and Patriots all still have uh, big playoff hopes and New England obviously just need one win to secure the division and what will be the second seed? Help me out here, Marcus. Second seed in the AFC? Uh, yes, staying on a second seed uh, as long as, again, as long as Denver don't lose because New England have the... They have the win... To win they're winning the time break over Denver thanks to their win against Denver. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, so they are second at the moment and then if they win and Denver lose, then New England go to number one and then Denver would potentially have to go to Foxborough to, uh, on the way to the Super Bowl and I don't fancy Manning's chances out there in probably the snow in late January where he doesn't have the best of records anyway despite a depleted New England side. Yeah, that's that's just something they want to try and avoid at all costs. Absolutely. So, well, that's the AFC East. Um, the AFC North, if it's okay, we're just going to kind of fire through these and then we'll look at the, the big picture of the six teams in each conference and maybe have a little bit of a, a chat about that. So the AFC North... We've got several different scenarios which could uh, result in either the Bengals, Ravens or Steelers going into the playoffs. Uh, Cleveland are the only team that have been eliminated. Obviously, Cincinnati leading the way at the moment with their 9-5, and five, but Baltimore at the moment snapping at their heels with that win on Monday night or last night. So, who do you think out of that division then, Mark? Are we going to stick with the Bengals or the Bungles, who you've said all along? It depends. If Minnesota can play like they did against the Eagles this week in Cincinnati, buy in mind that the fact that Baltimore have got New England coming to their house, yeah. I think it's going to be... I think I'm going to have to stick with um, the fact that come week 17, it is going to come down to the Baltimore at Cincinnati game. You think it's going to go to the wire and it will be that game who decides who wins the division? I think it will come down to that game. Wow, yeah, that would be really close if it does. And Pittsburgh, I think we're pretty much writing them off, aren't we? I'm, I'm afraid so. I just think Pittsburgh, they just left it about two, three games too late. Um, they've got a nice easy run left to sort of to go. They've got Green Bay and Cleveland left, but um, I still feel that that gives them an 8-8 eight and eight on the year, so if anything, it's not a losing season, guys. No, but how do they stand with Baltimore? Because if Baltimore and Pittsburgh both finish 8-8, eight and eight, who takes the, the high road there or the, the, the playoff spot? See, I think what will happen then is the fact that coming into this week, no offence, but Miami are coming to see your, your Bills. Yeah, um, none, none taken because the Bills are going to win. <laughs> and then a win there, and then, of course, Miami are at home to play the Jets at Week 17. So what that will entail is Miami will get the sixth seed off Baltimore over the next two games. Because Miami would then go on to finish 10-6, and six, so it wouldn't really matter what, what Baltimore did. Unfortunately so, yes. That's okay. how I see it panning out. Fair enough. And the AFC South is probably one of the easiest divisions to talk about because the Colts have won the AFC South title and everyone else in that division has been eliminated from the playoff race. <laughs> <laughs> Done. <laughs> yeah, so we can uh, dust our <laughs> we can dust our hands of that division. Um, <laughs> so only in the AFC 
we've got the AFC West where Kansas City Chiefs and Denver are on the same record. Uh, both have clinched a playoff spot, but who is going to win the division and who is going to end up as fifth seed? I, I, I still feel Kansas City will uh, end up being the fifth seed as they are now, as it sort of stands. They've got week 17. I think the big matchup is going to be going to San Diego in week 17. Um, they've got Indy coming next week, or this week, shall I say. Yeah. Indy coming to Kansas, uh, to Arrowhead this week, which I, I just honestly don't know which way that's going to fall. Because do we get the good Indianapolis? Do we get the bad Indianapolis? It's like we were talking a couple of weeks ago about the good and the bad Andy Dalton. It's very much been like that for the Colts this year. There's been the good Colts, and then there's just been the stinking just rubbish Colts yeah. terrible so, um, but I think San Diego like I said the weakness of Kansas City is the attack uh, through the air San Diego their strength Rivers with Keenan Allen and that air attack I think Kansas City will take a win against Indianapolis so they'll go 12-3 and three, but what will happen there is they'll drop a game against San Diego to go 12-4 and four. I just feel that Denver yeah I, I, I think hmm Will Denver lose any of their any of their final games? Uh, Houston next, uh, this week is a definite win. I mean, if you can't win at Houston where everyone else has won, um, then you don't deserve to be first seed. That's a fair point. And then your last game of the year is at Oakland. So really, I mean, honestly, Denver, you should be finishing thirteen and three. Yeah. Okay. So with San Diego, are currently eighth in the AFC. And obviously they have a well, they have a small glimmer of, of hope getting into the playoffs with their record currently at seven and seven. But if you're saying the Dolphins will finish eight and six, uh, sorry, not eight and six, sorry, they'll finish ten and six, then uh, obviously that blows their their chances out of the water. So we'll move on to the NFC, and uh, again we'll start in the East. We've got the Giants and the Redskins who are eliminated and are basically playing to see who gets the better draft pick out of the two of them. Um, and Philadelphia and Dallas remain alive. So the battle for the NFC East will go down to the wire, as I originally thought, just not the two teams that at the start of the season I thought it would be. Uh, obviously, I thought it was going to be the Redskins and the Giants, but instead we have a Week 17 matchup between the Eagles and the Cowboys, which will pretty much decide the division. So who do you think is going to take it out of the Eagles and the Cowboys? I think... My money would go on the Eagles purely because of what Romo showed this weekend in another clutch situation. Uh, yeah, I mean, Romo does. It's Romo's December woes all over again. I think Philadelphia will take it. I think Philadelphia will take it. Romo's just very generous around Christmas time because he gives lots of gifts to the opposing defences. <laughs> That's How generous of him. Exactly, yeah. Merry Christmas from the Romo family. Fair play. I don't think Jerry Jones appreciates it. But um, I'm sure everybody else does. The NFC North is looking very, very close. With the Bears and the Lions on the same record. And again, after the Lions lost last night, they are both on uh, 8 and 6. With the uh, Bears, I believe, having the lead in that one, don't they? Chicago Bears are 8 and 6. You have Green Bay have actually managed to jump over Detroit, going 7, 6 and 1. And now Detroit, thanks to that loss, have gone 7 and 7. Oh, have they? I thought they, they were 8 and 6, but I'm obviously, uh, I'm obviously mistaken there. I've got them down as 7 and 7. Um, we'll, we'll leave it to our independent adjudicator to, to let us know. <laughs> we will have a public service announcement, courtesy of the producer, no doubt. But I'm sure you are right. It sounds more, lo- more likely, actually, that they'll be 7 and 7, because I think I had 
Detroit going back on top if they won, putting them on eight and six. So um, we'll, we'll wait for the adjudication, but I, I'm pretty sure it's going to side in your favour, as normally seems to be the case. According to the NFL.com playoff picture for 2013 season, the Lions are seven and seven. So yes, that is how it stands. But like you say, so Green Bay have now leapfrogged the Lions by going with that tie. And, and I mentioned that in the blog, actually, uh, which you can catch if you go over to uh, www.bullhawksnest.weebly.com and click on the lowdown. Um, you will see I raised the fact that the tie gives Green Bay a really good shot at making the playoffs. Because if any of the other teams slip up, obviously a tie isn't a loss. Granted, it's not a win, but it's better than losing. So... We'll wait and see what happens. I mean, with the result last night, is it is it the Bears' division to lose? Or will the, the Packers sneak in even perhaps without Aaron Rodgers? I think it will be the Bears' um, division to lose. It's going to be a very interesting game this week because, of course, Chicago going over to Philadelphia. And we said how much implication it's going to have with Philadelphia taking on Dallas in Week 17. That could be a big match. Um, you know, a lot of Dallas fans are going to become Bears fans this week because then that way that will open it. it Philadelphia can lose, they will go 8-7. and seven. Dallas, you know, I guess you can say sort of really this week they put their fate in their own hands because really if, if they lose again this week and they go to 7-8, um, the they're uphill battle to try and come back and sort of... Well, it's just it's, it, that's, it's that simple, really. If Philadelphia can beat the Bears and go 9-6, um, Dallas really have to, to play it into their own hands and they have to get a win. But again, it's at Washington, so... If Washington can pull up the upset, that will close the book. And Week 17, unfortunately, won't mean anything. So I'm hoping everything goes that we get a load of Week 17 matches where they're clutch matches. Yeah, absolutely. And um, that NFC East game, if, if it does come down to the, the wire between Dallas and Philly, you can guarantee that that will be the late Sunday night game. Um, but sticking to the North, just say so despite their win against Philadelphia this week, the Vikings have been eliminated from the, the playoff race. So um, we now have the NFC South, who are in a very similar position to the AFC West, with the the top two teams only separated by their head-to-head record, um, and that's the New Orleans Saints and the Carolina Panthers, both with a record of 10-4 and at the moment. Um, Both teams are going to reach the the postseason. I don't think there's really um, any any doubt to that yet. No, Um, no, there's no doubt. Tampa and Atlanta are, are eliminated and fighting to see who gets the best draft pick, but... Out of Carolina and New Orleans, excuse me, bearing in mind the head-to-head, would you keep your money on the Saints finishing second? Uh, a second seed? Second seed, so yeah, that's what I mean, rather than second in the division. Sorry for the confusion. I'm, I'm going to have to say yes, because I think coming into Carolina this week, playing uh, my Rams and losing, allowing Carolina to come back to where this, this head-to-head's going to mean a lot more. Considering you've got to remember the last game, their Week 17 matches, New Orleans, I think they've got Tampa and... Carolina have got Atlanta, so should be both wins there. It really is going to come down to the head-to-head this week. I think they're going to look to consolidate from their loss and just make sure that they win both the head-to-head against Carolina, ensuring there's no doubt then what happens and they come up 
and they hold on to the number two seed, but also the number one in the South. Nice. So we finish off our roundup then with the NFC West. Uh, Seattle have clinched a playoff spot, but do require one more win to clinch the division. San Francisco looks certain to get the wild card spot, uh, providing they do not lose either of their last two games. The Cardinals are kind of a, a an outside long shot, even though they've got a record of nine and five this year, um, playing extremely mm. well at the moment. The Cardinals under their new head coach, taking him a little while to kind of get his philosophy into the team, but obviously playing well when the the time counts at the moment. And uh, unfortunately, the St. Louis Rams are eliminated despite their big win over the Saints this week. Yeah, yeah. No, this is going to be a great one. And um, what really comes down to this week, uh, we've got some great matchups. We see, I mean, Arizona going into Seattle is going to be a big game this week because, if, of course, Seattle it doesn't really have much implications. They're always going to be number one seed, I feel, uh, even if Arizona put up an upset. What happens is there is Arizona can hold on the upset. It's going to make a lot of difference because we, we pretty much know Atlanta going to San Francisco. I don't really see an upset happening there. But I feel, you know, Arizona, if the good Arizona again, they're one of these teams that they're either great or really bad, great yeah. or really bad. It's like make your mind up. If the great Arizona turn up in Seattle, it's going to be a great game, and I think it could be very close. If they come out with the win, then of course suddenly they're, they're ten and five. I think San Francisco almost guaranteed to have a win at home against Atlanta. So you know they're going to be eleven and four. Guess what's happening in week seventeen? San Francisco Bang! versus Arizona, yeah. Exactly. And then, of course, then what happens is there, they come in for the win. If Arizona can take that win against San Francisco, bang, they've got the head-to-head on them. Well, yeah, okay, yeah. So, a lot of so close matchups. Then, then. So, so, really, Arizona, they can need two things. Either the Falcons have to, there has to be an upset somewhere. Falcons have to upset San Francisco or Arizona have to upset Seattle. Now, I feel that Seattle actually might rest quite a few players because they're almost guaranteed to be top of the division. Yeah, because they've got two games in hand. So They've got two games in hand. You can take it a little bit easier. And they got St. Louis last game with, uh, last game of the season. So I think the last two games, they'll rest players. So I can see the Arizona upset, which will mean a great Week 17 matchup uh, between Arizona and San Francisco for who wants to go to the playoffs. Yeah, true. And I'll tell you what, though, if um, if Seattle do do that, and uh, I can't believe I just said do do, but um, if Seattle rest players and lose two games and San Francisco win out, then that suddenly flips it right round and puts San Francisco at number one. Well, no, not, not number one, sorry. Puts uh, San Francisco, actually, it may put them on number one, depending on the Saints. Uh, puts them right up the top there and then flips Seattle down into the uh, the fifth seed or sixth again depending well, on Seattle the numbers. Seattle would still even if that happened with San Francisco because Seattle got the wins over San Francisco. They'll but win they on haven't though because San, I thought San Francisco beat Seattle nineteen seventeen the last time they played. Uh, they did, but um, Seattle won. The, it, it actually, you know what? It's going to come down to because they both got a win against each other, haven't they? Yeah, they have. The yeah. first one match. You, San Francisco and the second one. So it's actually going to come down to... It could come down to the divisional place. So you know that is a big call because, of course, at the moment the division stands, Seattle are 3-1 in the division, San Francisco and 4-1. They're going to have to then come and play um, Arizona for that tying match. That tying match would then put, of course, them with them 5-1 on the division. Seattle want to rest their players. They'll go 3-3 three three on the division with the last two. So, yeah, you would see that massive slide. In which case, if that's the contention that we've got to put things in, are Seattle going to rest? Are they going to want to be number one seed? Are they going to go all guns blazing? You know what? Actually, I can see Pete Carroll being the kind of coach. We know he's a risk taker. Maybe he'll risk the injury side of it 
to try and make sure he maintains that number one. Or Seattle he'll risk that number one. Or he'll risk the number one spot so he doesn't get any injuries. Either way, I think he's he's conflicted with what he can do. You know, that comfortably sitting at the top at the moment, that can change. I mean, it depends. You'll have to see. Does he rest people for Arizona? And then if he loses to Arizona and San Francisco win, and he feels that San Francisco, Arizona, does he rely on Arizona doing him a favor and beating San Francisco? So, you know, resting up is going to be... The West, like we said, from being such a meagre league, is now definitely one of the most fiercely contested leagues. Yeah, and he's in such a catch-22, and, and ultimately, for the Seattle Seahawks, they need to be at home if they want to get to the Super Bowl. I, I don't think there's any two ways around it, because no team is going to want to go in to play in Seattle, and they haven't lost there all season. You don't really see that changing. But away from home, that Seattle are a completely different side. So, um, we'll... we'll, we'll uh, obviously, see what wait see what happens there. Just to finish off, to say that um, uh, before we go into the uh, quick roundup of the rankings, if you're new to the sport and you're wondering um, how the the seedings work for the playoffs, and you may get confused if you've seen the bloggers to uh, why teams with a better record uh, than some of the teams above them. Uh, so, for example, the fifth seed may have a better record than the third or fourth seed, and um, this is because the four division winners. Uh, always go from one to four seeds to make sure um, they have the, at least one home game and have some form of advantage going into the playoffs. Um, and the two remaining teams with the best record in the divisions, sorry, the two remaining teams in the conference with the best records that haven't won a division, then go into the wild card spots. So in the AFC, uh, as we said, at number one at the moment is Denver at 11 and three. Number two is New England at 10 and four. Number three is Cincinnati at nine and five. Number four is Indianapolis at nine and five. Number five is Kansas City at eleven and three. And I need Marcus's help with number six because both teams do. Baltimore have an eight and six record at the moment. They have an eight and six record, and they have a win over Miami this year, so they win the head-to-head. So therefore, they're Baltimore are currently sixth. Yes. Brilliant. Okay. And in the NFC, we have Seattle at one, New Orleans, uh, with twelve and twelve. New Orleans at two with ten and four. Philadelphia, 8-6 and six in uh, third position. Fourth position, uh, still Chicago, 8-6. and six. Uh, Fifth position, Carolina at 10-4. and four. And at number six, uh, San Francisco at 10-4. and four. So, um, And you mentioned the reason why Carolina get the inkling over San Francisco that they are both 10-4. and four. Again, Carolina have won against San Francisco this year, so they win on what they call a head-to-head. Brilliant. So we will leave that there. Oh, y'all want the play? Okay, here we go. We've got Gun, Hulk left slot. Dixie left, Key left. Mercedes, wide chip, Ricky. Zebra left, 75, Katie. Omaha, quick way. I want to finish off this week with five more football films that you should all go and check out. Now, last week it was my turn to bring three to the table, which means, young Marcus, this week you should have three football films for our listeners, so I will let you take it away. First off, I'm going to round off the first of my three this week is a, a film called We Are Marshall, uh, based on the real-life events of the 1970s uh, Marshall University team that tragically died in, in a plane crash. It sees them try and rebuild their program from the start. Yeah, I, I actually, um, I've not actually seen that film yet, uh, but I will obviously see it before we record our show next week. I will make sure I, I watch that. Um, I saw a trailer for it, though. I did make sure I did that, and 
it does look like a, a really gripping and moving film and, and obviously tragic events that happened uh, back there in, in 1970. Yeah, it, it, it's one of those ones where I know a lot. Some sometimes football is used as a tool to convey a message. Some of them are just purely about the football. This sort of sits in the middle where there is there's a message there and you know the idea of being able to move on after something so tragic but at the same time there is a great amount of football yeah and and, and thinking of, of films with with kind of um poignant messages i think your your next film may also have one of those yes my next uh, my next film is is a little bit sort of different from the rest of the films because this one is sort of more a sort of a docu film it's called undefeated uh, basically it follows uh, a season of Manassas High School in Memphis, Tennessee, and it's Manassas is one of the most deprived areas in Memphis. In fact, it, it ranks quite high of one of the most deprived areas in the entire state of Tennessee. Um, and it sees how you know real life day to day running of the team, set by you know our good pal. Uh, we've mentioned him a couple of times. Um, yeah, Coach <sighs> Bill Courtney. Courtney. Why well, I, I had Cowley in my head. I was like, Cowley's not quite right. But um, Coach Courtney. And try and I don't know develop the team and develop the young men's lives through the course of this season. Um, and that's pretty much it, really. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about how he's trying to use the football program to inspire the the youth in that area, the youth at Manassas, to to make more of themselves and to realise that they don't have to live that way. They can actually be um, better people. I don't like to use the word better people, actually, but they can actually aspire to. To make their lives um, more bearable and, and move, yeah, better themselves and and maybe move away from from such a poor area or make enough to build up the area and and sort of stop it um, having the problems it does. Um, so, what about your final film? Before I dig myself too much of a hole there, <laughs> uh, my final film is it's actually quite a nice one. This was an, it, it kind of really broke broke over this side of the pond, and it's called Blindside. Some of you may have gone to see it. It rare for an American football film. It actually got into mainstream cinemas here on this side, and it really fo- it follows the story of um, Michael Orr, who's um, an actual player in the NFL, um, playing with the Baltimore Ravens at the moment. I, I do believe. Yeah, and right tackle sh- for the Ravens. Yeah, it shows his struggle of, of, of coming to terms with you know who he is and, and life, but the way football, you know allowed him to reinvent himself and the family that allowed him to not reinvent himself within the family but you know what I mean you know give him that second life yeah absolutely and um well yeah Blindside is a a great film and another one that you should check out now I'm just going to finish off uh, with a couple of films and I think I might surprise a a few people with my my choices here Uh, there's a couple of films we we talk about all the time so I'm actually not going to mention those and I've gone with, uh, firstly, one that I'm sure you'll probably laugh at when I mention it, and that is, of course, Jerry Maguire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just thought, yeah. I just thought, well, looking around at all of the football films, it kind of made me think, it's about, obviously, it's Tom Cruise plays an agent who loses uh, his job and all of his clients, um, except for one uh, a gentleman or a wide receiver for the Cardinals called Rod Tidwell. And... Although it's a big Hollywood film and your typical Tom Cruise film, at the same time there is kind of an underlying tone which gives you an insight into the life of an agent and the uh, the turmoil that, that players go through when their contract's coming to an end. So I think it's kind of a, a bit of a, a feel-good movie as well. And as we're coming up to Christmas, it kind of seemed a, a good one to throw out for our 
listeners to go and watch if they haven't seen it already. And finally, uh, the, the the last film that we're going to tell you to go out there and watch before we make our decisions next week is a film called Invincible. Now, not sure if you've heard or seen this one, Marcus. It rings a bell. It definitely rings a bell. It, but, um... Okay, well, it's based on the true story of uh, Vince Papale, who was a walk-on player for the Eagles back in 1976. Uh, when Dick Vermeil first came in, he held open tryouts, at literally, there's that word again, open tryouts, open to anyone in the public, um, and it stars Mark Wahlberg as Vince Papale. Um, it's a great film to watch, and... Uh, I actually have to uh, thank my my ex-girlfriend for that because uh, I hadn't heard of the film and I came home one day from work and she was like, oh, I've uh, I've recorded this for you because it was about American football and I'd never heard of it and I sat down and we watched it and I'm so glad she recorded it because it is uh, one of my favourite football films that I'd actually forgotten about. So um, definitely, I think, go and check that out. Does that remind you of it or have you not seen that one? I haven't seen that one, but I do know of, of the player... Um, of course, wide receiver, wasn't he? Um, yeah, wide receiver for the Eagles. Mainly got to play... Well, but actually, I'm not going to go into <laughs> mainly where he got to play because I'm going to let the film do the talking for you. But yes, he was a wide receiver. So there's other films out there which you know may or, or may not get a mention, but we wanted to try and give you a good balance of the most popular football films and plus ones that we genuinely think you should go out there and watch because maybe you've you've not heard of them yet. So... Um, uh, again like last week you can find all of the trailers in the show notes and next week we will be banging our heads together to come up with the top 5 football films uh, from the Bullhawks Nest so that will be an official top 5 list that we will have to stick by Marcus so we better get our thinking caps on for that one and and find out how we're going to rank the films and what system we're going to use and how many stars they all get and all that kind of good stuff so uh, we'll do that between now and next week. Uh, until then, don't forget you can get in touch with us. Send us an email at ballhawksnest at gmail.com. Tweet us at ballhawksnest or contact us via any of the social media icons at the top of the webpage. We are down with the modern technology these days. We're also uh, downloadable on iTunes, so make sure you uh, get hold of us on there if you can. And until next week, football fans, stay safe, take care, and thanks for stopping by. (laughs) 